This Bible study podcast is a presentation of Sunset Presbyterian Church. For more information, log on to our website at www.sunsetpres.org. So, this week we are studying 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And on Valentine's Day, I thought it was, I don't, didn't realize it till yesterday that one of the key phrases in this passage is about losing heart. Now, is that a coincidence or not that, that heart is in today's message? But, um, and so what I wanted you to start out with, just to kind of get our brains going, thinking about how this might apply to us, I've got some index cards in the middle of your table, and I didn't have enough to put eight on every table. So if you don't have one, um, you can pass them around, or otherwise write it on a, you know, margin of your study or something like that. And I wanted you to think about what situation today are you most tempted to lose heart in? Paul uses this phrase twice in our lesson. Um, And I thought, wow, that is an interesting phrase. To lose heart sounds kind of like an English phrase. And so I wondered if there was something in the Greek or whatever. And it turns out it just means kind of like what we think it means. It means to be discouraged. So what situations do you feel discouraged about today? Um, And as I was just kind of thinking about some examples that maybe we might have, there might be um, health struggles, there might be the situation here at sunset. Do you feel discouraged about that? Um, I'm going to say don't use politics, right? Because everyone can feel, you know, discouraged about politics and, and things like that. But, I mean, unless it's something that you've been praying for a lot and you're just feeling like, Lord where are you making traction on this? What, what are you doing? Where are you working in this? And I'm feeling discouraged about it. Um, a relational issue, something like that, and I want you to write that down on there. While I go grab my Bible. And I'll pray real quick for us while you're doing that. Heavenly Father, as these ladies are thinking about... Um, As we're starting to think about this study, Lord, I pray that we would be able to just take all of the morning, all of the Valentine's Day fun and excitement and all of that, um, getting kids off to school, um, traffic, whatever, Lord, that we would just take those things and set them aside, that we would be a blank open slate before you, Jesus, and that you would be able to just speak your word into our lives. God, as we reflect and think about areas where we feel discouraged, Um, God, I pray that today would be a powerful encouragement, that like Paul, we would know that we don't have to lose heart. Open our ears, open our hearts, Lord, and speak to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going to start off by reading the first part of our passage here. Chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Therefore, since through God's ministry, or Since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God said, 
let light shine out of darkness, has made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. So last week, Paul was talking about um, the ministry of the Old Covenant and the ministry of the New Covenant, um, specifically Moses and the Law versus the New Covenant under Christ. And he was talking a lot about glory, the glory of the Old Covenant, and he was contrasting that to the New One and saying that the New One was even more glorious. And if you remember, he was also talking about Moses and relating that story about Moses who, after he came down with the Ten Commandments, he was wearing a veil over his face because um, his face was literally shining because he had been in the presence of God. And he, Paul explains that he didn't want that glory to be seen to be fading and going away, so he covered it up before the Israelites. So that's sort of the context that we have within here. And the very first sentence of our passage says, Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we don't lose heart which kind of caught my attention because basically he's saying there's something about the new ministry that is giving him encouragement and strength. So what is it about this new ministry that is so encouraging? Well, he talks about this. He goes on to explain sort of a paradox about the gospel. On the one hand, he he says very plainly that the gospel is it's set forth plainly. It is right out there in the open. Um, It's unadulterated. It's full strength. But on the other hand, he says that it's veiled to those who are unbelievers. Now, when he's talking about it being plain, he's talking about the reason part of the context of this is that there were other teachers who were um, teaching a secret gospel, you know, that was something that only the really smart people in the know could understand. You had to have a special knowledge. Um, And so this was a secret gospel that was only for certain people who were in the know. Paul's saying, that's not what the gospel's really like. That's not the gospel that I told you about. And he also says that he doesn't distort the gospel. And in the Greek, that word to distort means literally to water down. What he's doing is he's referring to a practice that wine merchants would use of watering down their wares, which is great when you think about that, the gospel being like wine. And he goes, I don't water this down. He says that he lives it out plainly before people. So it's right there out in the open. But unexpectedly, he affirms that unbelievers, for some reason, can't see this glory. And he says that the reason why that is is because the gods of the age have blinded them. Now, that's a very intriguing statement to me. Um, What are the gods of the, what is the god of the age? What is that, really? If you remember two weeks ago, we talked about idols. And we talked about how those are things that, um, that we tend to, worship instead of God. They're good things, but they're things that we want to go and pin our hopes on. Um, And I think that a God of the age is anything that makes the gospel appear less powerful or less appealing by contrast. If any of you are familiar with Ravi Zacharias, he um, is a Christian apologist, and he has a fabulous message that's kind of a classic that's always stuck with me because he actually talks about um, verse 6, and he talks about how this verse talks about light wisdom or knowledge and glory and he talks about how to the hebrews in their history the concept of light is very very important to them it's this this symbol this theme that goes all the way through the old testament light the light of god Um, the greeks on the other hand really worshiped logic and wisdom you had all of these different schools of thought you know they had the philosophers and and so for them 
um, they were really interested in sophisticated worldly wisdom. And the Romans, if you know anything about the Romans, in fact, if you go to Rome and you look at the ancient ruins, every single thing practically has SPQR, which is the acronym in Latin for to the glory of Rome. Literally, like, if you are checking out the, um, the Clocus Maximus or, you know, the, the, the water drains, they all have SPQR on them. Everything is devoted to the glory of Rome. That was a concept that's them was um, very, very important. So it's interesting that um, all of these good things are things that these different cultures really, really want to go after. But are these things that in some way end up blinding you to the power of the gospel as it is? For example, would these people really believe Paul considering his past and his appearance? a guy who's not that impressive, um, someone who is not rich, who's not wealthy, who's not um, well-known, doesn't have a pedigree, and who has comes with this crazy story about being struck blind in the middle of the street for a couple of days and then having a vision of God. Like, would you necessarily believe him? Um, would you follow a king, a king who's been crucified? Like, doesn't that sound kind of crazy? That, that sounds foolish. Like, would you follow that? Would you become a Christian if it means being sisters with people who are completely different than you? Not just the people who are attractive and wealthy and, and who are able to really um, reflect well on you in a worldly sense. Or if it means being persecuted. I mean, all of these things that maybe we try to go after in life, you know, they're, they are what they are. But if there are things that blind us to the reality, the truth, the power of the gospel, then that's not good. The study has a great quote. Um, on page 55, Kelly Minter says, Before fully trusting in the Spirit's leading, I followed an inner compass driven by whims, selfish desires, and flawed understanding. Where I intuitively thought peace could be found was often the polar opposite of where it resided. God has used his word over and over again to redirect my steps to align with his path. We're in a different time. We're in a different culture, but it's the same story today. And just like we were talking about two weeks ago, we have lots of idols in our world that sometimes blind us to the power of the gospel. Times when we say, surely this can't be God's way. Although it's hidden in plain sight to unbelievers, the good news of the gospel points us to find the fulfillment of our heart's desire in Jesus. And like Ravi Zacharias talks about in, in his message about this verse, he says, the verse, but God made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. All three of those things, the things that were important to the Jews, the things that were important to the Greeks, the things that were important to the Romans, all three of those concepts are uni unified, and they find their fulfillment where? In the face of Christ. And I find that interesting that he says the face of Christ. It's not just in the actions of Christ. It's not just in the words of Christ, but it's in his face. It's in knowing him. Because it's in the person of Christ, it's in knowing him that we find relationship with God, that we can truly find, um, that we can truly know him. So I will ask you to consider 
what good things blind our generation and culture? Um, that is, what other things do we worship instead that would make the gospel seem comparatively weak or unappealing? Or how might we as Christians be tempted to modify, to water down the gospel to make it more attractive? And what do you think happens when we do? You can think about that in terms of a global church kind of thing. You can think about that here at Sunset. You can think about it personally. I know in our culture, we are very, very image-obsessed, right? Um, and here at Sunset, we have, um, we have so many very talented leaders, so many people who are, you know, professional musicians and, and people who are um, very polished and put together. And that can sometimes be intimidating for people who aren't. But we, we enjoy projecting a certain image, right? Um, and we think, hey, that image glorifies God, right? But I want you to think about, are we so concerned about our own image that we ignore what that image might be saying about the gospel? Is the image that we're projecting creating a place where someone who's not put together, who's not upper middle class, who's not from the same culture, that they still feel welcome, that they still recognize the power of the gospel and that they know that they don't have to become a certain way, they don't have to attain that image before the gospel's available to them. That was just one idea that I had, but I hope that you um, think about that yourself and go, how does that apply to me? How does that apply to um, my circle of influence? As we move on to chapter um, 4, verses 7 to 15, Paul says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may be also revealed in our mortal body. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. It is written, I believe, therefore I have spoken. Since we have that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. All this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. So let's go back to that one um, beautiful, beautiful metaphor. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. Can you think of an any more unexpected place to put your treasure? Um... You know, we don't necessarily use jars a whole lot. Nowadays, we use things like moving boxes. You know, or when something comes from Amazon, it comes in a cardboard box. Or larger things, I think, I thought another great example might be pallets. There's been a real resurgence in interest in pallets in the last, dec you know, couple years or so. But a pallet is something that, um, in and of itself, you know, isn't isn't that particularly special, and it's really, it ships things all over the world, but it's only meant to last two or three times. After that, the shipping company puts it out on the side, and anyone who wants it can have it. Um, it's not meant to last, and I kind of think cardboard boxes are another great um, kind of analogy for that. 
I've got a picture um, of a Roman, a couple of Roman amphoras. And those are the kind of, the specific kind of clay jar that the Romans would use to ship olive oil and grain and um, goods all around, all around the known world. And the Roman world was pretty big at that time. I think there's two prevailing characteristics about them. And we often focus on the brokenness of being a clay jar. But I want to focus today on the fact that these jars were common and they were perishable. They were humble, they were ubiquitous, they were everywhere, they were unworthy, maybe someone would think, of having a treasure inside of it. And they were also, I mean, not particularly strong. They were strong enough to hold what was inside, but they were disposable. They weren't meant to last. This wasn't something that you kept in your house for your whole life. Or you, you used it. It was utilitarian. It was a vessel. And that doesn't mean that it was worthless, but its value and its purpose are defined by what it contains. On the outside, a jar full of treasure looks much the same as a jar full of junk or nothing at all. It's what's on the inside that matters. Kelly Minter says, it may be easy to think that if God really had his hand on you, you wouldn't be hurting so much, and you'd be stronger than you are. But herein lies the great mystery. It's through our weakness that the power of Christ shines most brightly. Now what I think this means practically is that we have to remember that God placed his divinity and the whole hope of humanity in a common, fragile, mortal human body. He could have picked an angel, but he picked a human body, not in spite of its susceptibility to weakness and death, but because of it, because that's how he was working. And then God entrusted the gospel, again, the whole hope of humanity to who? These ragtag bunch of disciples that had kind of given up on everything right when things seemed at their climax. And he calls them back into ministry, and he gives them the gospel, and he brings in Paul. I mean, Paul was completely opposed to God's work, and God ropes him in. And he gives the gospel to the church at Corinth. These ordinary, squabbling, imperfect people, you know, who kind of have some things right and kind of don't have a lot of things right. God has given his gospel to Sunset Presbyterian, a normal, common church that won't last forever. He's given it to you and me, ordinary, common people who are going to be here on this earth for as long as God gives us to be. Now, why? It makes no sense, right? Because we don't, we don't seem worthy of that. Um, we don't have it all together. We're just like everyone else but it's to show the surpassing power that comes from him and not from us. Would you please reflect, what are the clay pot moments or people in your life? The moments that are common, that look like every other moment. Tuesday mornings, early, early Thursday mornings before work, for those of you who are listening in. When you're driving to work or school, when you're having coffee with a friend, those moments across the kitchen table, when there's crumbs all over the place and laundry to be done. Younger women, those 2 a.m. feedings and diaper changes. Can't get more common than that, right? 
Or maybe just times when all of a sudden you just, someone comes on your mind, on your heart, and you go, maybe I should give them a phone call. And you do, and then you find out there's something going on in their life, and you call it just the right time. And you realize it wasn't you, it wasn't your idea, it was the Holy Spirit prompting you to do something. Something in the ordinary, and it didn't feel like it was this big light bulb moment of God saying, do this for me. You know, it just felt like just this little inner nudge. Ordinary. I want you to stop underestimating those moments. Or if you want to think about people, clay pot people, the cash register, you know, the person who's checking you out at Fred Meyers, you know, just ordinary people. They're clay pot people, just like you and me. What are the weak moments in your life? The times when you feel overburdened, when you don't feel good enough, the moments you don't like, when you are susceptible to failure or pain or looking really foolish. I'm going to ask you to stop regretting those. How many times have you taken those things before God and apologized and said, God, I'm so sorry. I just, I just, I just can't get it right. I just, I'm not strong enough. I can't do it. And you feel guilty. You feel bad about it. You stop apologizing for it and realize that God wants to work in it. That's okay. He chose that. He chose that. He chose you for that. And he wants to work in that. That is okay. Are you willing to be weak, to be foolish, to be imperfect, so that God's power can shine through that? So that everybody knows that it's not because of how smart you are or not how the fact that you have all the right answers or all the right words, but the fact that God's giving them to you. Let's move on to verses 16 through 18 as this passage just really culminates with, Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Again, on the outside, the circumstances of a Christian life may look the same as anyone else's. Because we get caught in rush hour, we seem pretty normal, we lose our temper, um, we get sick, we get frustrated with people, We may look no more successful or blessed than anyone else, possibly. But the difference is often revealed in those moments of weakness or suffering because that's when you get to see what's inside. God's glory is purposely contained in the common because it's best revealed in brokenness. One of the gifts of being plunged in over your head And Paul was earlier talking about very clearly that he was in trials beyond his ability to endure. Beyond his ability to endure. And so he takes that and is now calling it a light and momentary affliction, which is kind of funny. But it has the tendency to prove beyond a shadow of a doubt whether or not your heart has been anchored in the right place. Like an airbag, you won't know if it works unless you find yourself in a crash. Kelly Minter says, the highest desire in the midst of our suffering is for Jesus to be revealed in us, 
That is not the full scope of the purpose of suffering, and I want to reiterate that. That's not the reason for suffering, but it is a powerful encouragement. Something that happened to me recently, kind of a personal example of where I see God doing this in my life, um, is I used to be really, and I don't think I'm alone, I think this is a normal, average human response, um, but I used to feel really uncomfortable and kind of scared at the thought of um, realities of aging or mental illness or the, the idea of losing yourself, right? Um, anytime I was thinking about something like that, being confronted with someone who was in the throes of that, that was something that made me feel really uncomfortable. Um, and in the last couple of months, my husband and I have learned that his grandmother has been diagnosed with Alzheimer's. Um, and she is not that, that, that far along. She's still kind of in um, early stages of, of that. But um, she's also moved to a retirement home that is just a block or two away from our house. So I get to go see her twice a day to help give her her meds because she's gotten to the point where she doesn't remember to take them. <laughs> and even though we come to see her and she expects us to come there, she doesn't take them. So, so I get to go see her a lot. And so in, in being with her every day, I get to hear a lot of the same stories over and over and over, you know. And it just kind of started to occur to me in the last couple of weeks as I was sitting with her once and hearing the same stories, you know, for the hundredth time. I started to realize, I mean, it was, it was sad. <laughs> it's, it's very heartbreaking and sad to, be, to see someone you know and you love going through that. But at the same time, as I was there with her, it was like God was just pouring his comfort into me and saying, this isn't so bad, is it? Because you're here with her, and you know that she is the same person to you that she always has been. And you love her exactly the same way that you always have. In fact, you love her more. You have more opportunities to show her how much she loves you. You love her. And she has the same dignity in your eyes because you love her. And as I started to l just really process that, I started to realize that's not something I need to be afraid of. I mean, there are very real um, fragilities. There are very real um, aspects about a situation like that that, that can be... Um, genuinely frightening, genuinely sad. But in that moment, I started to realize I don't have to be afraid because really what I'm afraid of, I'm afraid of losing myself. I'm afraid of losing that, that worthiness or that dignity or I, I don't know what it is, but I'm realizing it's the same with her. It's, it's to me because she's a child of God. And I realize I don't lose, you don't lose that. Even if you lose the awareness of it, you don't lose it. That's something that God has placed inside of you. That is a kind of piece that I could not have found any other way than being there in that moment. And it wasn't that I discovered hidden strength in myself. It was simply that God's grace manifested itself at a time when I had need of it. So let's reflect for you guys. This situation that you wrote down on your index card, it's kind of a clay pot moment, isn't it? What's inside your clay pot moment? On the outside, 
There's what is seen. But what's unseen is inside of it. Would you revisit that situation? Would you hold it before God? And would you ask God to fill it with his presence, with his power, with his glory? Would you ask God to be revealed in it? To put his power that's surpassing whatever you can do with that, but to allow his surpassing power to be revealed in it? And would you be encouraged? This this situation that you wrote down that you're frustrated about, that maybe you're angry about, this is a situation that's achieving glory for you that you can't see. And I know you can't see that right now, but Paul says it's so. God says it's so. And we can trust that because we know that his word is true. We know that, and he gives us enough hints in those moments when he allows his power to to leak out of our brokenness. We know that it is so. So final thoughts for today. Don't lose heart. And you know, your mama always used to say, this too shall pass, right? I think there's a lot more to it than we know. Because that veil that's over the gospel, that's over God's glory sometimes, that's over our uncertainties, it's going to be lifted, right? One day, one day, Jesus is going to be revealed in all of his glory to the whole world. And Barb Sermon quoted Romans, 9, or Romans 8, 19, and I thought it was just so, such a great tie-in. For all creation waits an eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the children of God, that's you and me, that's us clay pots that we look just like everyone else on the outside. But what's inside us is going to be revealed to the whole world. And for now, you and I, don't forget, can see God's glory. And with it, the promise of redemption in the face and the person of Jesus Christ. We just need to keep our eyes on him. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for um, the powerful encouragement of your word. I ask your blessing on every single situation that was written down today, um, on every clay pot person in this room, because that's all of us. And I thank you, God. I thank you for the treasure that you have placed inside of us. God, I ask that your power... um, would be revealed in our lives, God, that we would learn to embrace our weaknesses, those areas where um, we maybe are tempted to cover them up or to lean on our strengths, but to realize, God, that there are opportunities for you to shine through. God, give us boldness and courage, courage to be foolish, foolish for your sake, so that you can be glorified. In Jesus' name, I pray.